Hi, my name is Andy Jeronsik and welcome to Artists Vivendi. Today I want to introduce a new series of videos titled What I Have Learned From. Yeah, it's kind of a prosaic title, but that's what this series is going to be about. I'm going to share what I have learned from a variety of thinkers who have shaped me, who have helped me better understand myself, others, society, God and life in general. Now, there is a specific way in which I plan to approach these thinkers. I have to say from the outset that this is not meant to be an academic series. As a matter of fact, this is not an academic channel. Rather, what I'm interested in doing is to look at some facets of different individuals and what they have contributed and then ask the question, well, what does this mean for life? And what has it meant for me? What kind of insights have I gleaned about these various domains of existence by engaging and reading these thinkers? Perhaps one way to explore my approach is to share with you a quote from Michel Foucault, who writes about his engagement with Nietzsche, who writes about the way in which he kind of uses Nietzsche for his own purposes. And this is what he writes. He says, I prefer to utilize the writers I like. The only valid tribute to a thought such as Nietzsche's is precisely to use it, to deform it, to make it groan and protest. And if commentators then say that I'm being faithful or unfaithful to Nietzsche, that is of absolutely no importance. Now, I would say it is of importance depending on what you're doing, right? If you're offering a biography of an individual or if you try to give a scholarly account of how this thinker developed his or her ideas, then yeah, I think a comprehensive approach, an approach that is really faithful and that is kind of textually accurate is quite significant. But I think what Foucault is referencing here is a particular usage, a usage that doesn't really violate the thinker, but a usage that is taking another thinker as a springboard for one's own thought, for one's own kind of existential appropriation, the sucking out of insights that one then reconfigures and applies to his or her own life. So I really like this notion, right? I prefer to utilize the writers I like. The only valid tribute to a thought such as blank, right, is precisely to use it. It's precisely to deform it, to make it groan and protest. So it is this kind of sense of freedom of appropriation, freedom of engagement, that is going to be a hallmark of these videos. Now, I have to say that I am bringing a different set of assumptions, additional assumptions to the table as I engage with these thinkers. First of all, I reject something that could be referred to as poison drop epistemology. And what I mean by this is this idea that some people share that if a certain thinker, right, if a certain author has some elements of untruth, like whatever that might be, whatever the reader thinks is not truth, that that element of untruth functions as a poison drop that infects everything the thinker says, right? Now, it is interesting that this is not something only maintained by conservative, let's say, Christians. Notable philosophers such as Heidegger often had such an approach. 
he, as a matter of fact, believed that the whole trajectory of Western thought, not just Western, not just Western philosophy, but the whole trajectory of Western thought was infected by a specific understanding of what the question of being is, right? So everything else subsequent philosophers have written somehow is a reflection or has been impacted by this fundamental mistake of what he termed deontological question. So it is understandable that other people would also make such an inference. And I would say that that might be the case. It might really be the case that in some instances, a fundamental presupposition impacts a person's perspective in everything he or she says. But often that is not the case. And most often that is not the case. And I believe that we can actually appropriate elements of someone's thought, even if we fundamentally disagree with them. Now, as a Christian, when I read existentialist writers, for instance, when I read someone like Albert Camus or Jean-Paul Sartre, obviously I share a very different worldview from them. My understanding of the divine, my understanding of the purpose of life is, is quite different, I would say. But still, I can use them in different ways. Using, I'm using the word using as quoted a moment ago from that Foucault quote. For instance, I believe what these authors have said about the human condition, about the problem of bad faith or the problem of abandonment of liberty, the problem of the absurd, the problem how we as human beings often don't take responsibility for our lives, the kind of analysis of our cultural condition and the state of alienation in which we find ourselves in, yeah, um, as a Christian, I can find much liking for that. So what I like about these thinkers in that particular instance is their analytic prowess. They are using a certain kind of vocabulary, a certain kind of analysis, and even analytical tools that I find very helpful. Now, I might not agree, and I do not agree with the solutions they provide, but I would say their analytical sort of chops sometimes is something that I really want to draw on, and I find it very helpful. The same is with Marx, especially with the early humanistic Marx. Now, of course, I do not buy into the Marx of the later Marx, the Marx of the Communist Manifesto, and everything that we usually consider under Marxism, right? We, because we immediately jump from Marx to, to the gulags, right? And that's what many people do this. And I, they do it very irresponsibly, first of all, because there are many types, different types of Marxism. But when Marx provides a critique of ideology, right? When he tells us that many things in this society are often simply an expression of deeper interests, in his case, economic interests. Yes, I want to say this because I see a similar critique provided both in the prophets of the Old Testament and in Jesus. As a matter of fact, the critique of ideology that we see, for instance, in Marx often actually has very significant similarities with the critique of idolatry that we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And this is a point that Bruce Ellis Benson makes in his book, graven ideologies. So you see, we use thinkers for different purposes. Sometimes we use them because they provide excellent vocabulary, excellent sort of imagery, right? Excellent stories or analogies. I don't agree with her 
what she says or with him in some, perhaps even in most of the things that they're saying. But I would say the way they're using such and such analogy as applied to this and that problem, yeah, I mean, that is really phenomenal. That is really awesome. So sometimes it is a matter of language, right? Sometimes it is a matter of analysis. Sometimes they're dealing with things that have nothing to do with my Christian faith. I believe that reading a philosopher and a thinker who presents to you basic elements of logic and fallacious reasoning is something that can be useful and should be useful and is useful for any human being, irrespective of what kind of way of life you pursue and what kind of religious commitments you have. And so I hope to practice a certain hermeneutics of charity, you know, a hermeneutics of goodwill, reading people with the intent of asking them, of journeying with them, of exploring with them what it means to live a good life. And I hope that you will be blessed, at least as I have been blessed, and that you will be able to find some good nuggets, some good insights that you can apply to your own life. Well, thank you so much for listening. I wish you all the best. Live well, stay strong, and until next time.